this is Lauren Trees, Principal Research Lead at APQC. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And today, I'm very excited to be here with Jessica Malloy, who is Senior Knowledge Manager at Harvard Business Publishing Corporate Learning. Thank you so much for being here, Jessica. Thank you for having me, Lauren. And I wanted to talk to you, Jessica, because your experience in the knowledge management space has been kind of unique. In the time that you've been working in KM, you've been involved in setting up three separate KM programs from scratch, from nothing, building from the ground up in different industries, different organizational cultures. And I know we have a lot of members and listeners who are trying to get knowledge management off the ground. And so I thought this would be a good opportunity to give them some insights based on your experience and what you've seen across setting up those three programs. Yeah, so the three different programs that I started from scratch, they all vary so differently from the different uh, cultures that the organizations had and the focus of the work. When I first started, I was at Spark Microgrants in Uganda, and I was their knowledge management officer. And to them, that meant taking data and stories that we got from the field and turning them into uh, compelling stories to share with our funders and local government to be able to continue our work. And that was really exciting, but I also saw issues internally with how we were sharing knowledge and information. The culture there uh, very much prides themselves on everything that they've accumulated over their uh, career and their experience. So oftentimes there's um, a knowledge hoarding aspect and trying to encourage people to share and show that that would help with their careers was one of the biggest challenges that we faced. And also when I first started, I thought knowledge management was really around content. So I was focused on making sure Google Drive was being utilized to its maximum potential, uh, folder structures and sharing and permissions and naming conventions were really big for us. And then I moved on to Redox, which is a US-based um, healthcare IT company. And they're all very good at technology, so that wasn't an issue. And they wanted me to move their content from an old wiki that had been outdated to Confluence and really pair up Confluence with Jira and maximize that tool. And we took it one step further too and looked at the value stream through the organization and where information was not getting through. And that was really a great learning experience for me to understand that, okay, now we're looking at processes in the organization and how they might uh, inhibit the flow of knowledge. At the same time, I was taking the information and knowledge strategy master's program at Columbia. Ed Hoffman was one of the lecturers and he was the first chief knowledge officer for NASA. And he's known for saying people, people, people. And he taught us that that is one of the most important parts of knowledge management. It's not what, where are the documents living or how are they stored? That's definitely important. When we're talking about true knowledge transfer, you have to get to the level of the people, figure out who knows what and connect them together. So you act as a, a bridge. And so coming into a new organization and starting out from scratch as the only knowledge manager in an organization, you have to learn who knows what really quickly and be able to start matchmaking. And that's exciting, but it, it's also really um, a challenge. And so now that I'm at HBP, 
I'm focusing not only on content, I'm really looking at processes like I learned at Redox, and of course the people aspect. Uh, we're looking at technology and governance, and that's a lot to focus on. So instead of looking at all of the different gaps in the whole entire organization, I've picked a few smaller pilot projects and applying all of those components to smaller pieces to see how we can be successful and then use that to then expand it to the rest of the organization. I know that Nick Milton talks about that a lot in his KM strategy book, so those have been helpful for me. Um, and if anyone else is, who's listening is starting a program, I would highly recommend those books. I love hearing that because it's the story of these three programs, but also your evolution in knowledge management and understanding more about the different pieces and how they come together. I feel like when you're starting knowledge management from scratch, there's defining what is knowledge management for the organization. You were kind of mm -hmm. talking about that. Is it content management? Is it solving a particular knowledge flow problem? You know, what is it that we're doing? And then there's the who knows what part that you're talking about. And, and then obviously the, the what's in it for me. Why, why do people want to do this? Why do they want to name their files a particular way or, or go share what they're doing? So obviously three very different organizations and every sense of culture. So, so I wanted to ask you, how do you feel like the organizational cultures that you've worked in have affected how KM is perceived and how it's adopted? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. So when I was in East Africa, I was seen largely as an expert, even though I didn't have much expertise. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with like perceptions around uh, Western education or things like that. And that was actually hard to push through and encourage people to understand that they actually are the experts. They have the information and the knowledge they need to be doing this work. We just need them to share it more. And um, just being a facilitator more than an expert was really important in that culture and helping people really shine <laughs> with what they already know. And then the culture of Redox was one of the best that I've worked in. People at Redox were very good with technology, of course. It's a healthcare IT company, and they're very motivated to do their work. They're passionate about it, and they have a lot of great ideas and innovations. So I kind of took a backseat and was learning from them on how they maximize the potential of the different tools they were using. And then we worked together to make sure that it was being shared throughout the organization. So it was really a partnership and a learning for me to figure out how best to work in a culture that is so good with technology. And now that I'm at HBP, it's a publishing company and we don't have as many people who are top-notch technology experts, but there's a willingness to learn. Everyone in the whole organization is passionate about learning, of course. So it's been really great to work with a team that um, they want to listen, they want to take part, and then they're very willing to jump in and help. And that is so crucial for someone who's coming in, starting a KM program from scratch and uh, trying to really do it as a one-person show. Uh, having those people who are willing to coordinate and collaborate is really excellent. So I think that's a perfect lead into the next piece that I wanted to ask you, which is 
we've been having a lot of conversations, especially as people move more to the digital workplace, remote and hybrid work around how knowledge management affects the employee experience. So I wanted to ask you how you see that relationship play out. Um, I think that better knowledge sharing is, it leads to a better employee experience overall. And I've seen that, especially with onboarding. Uh, onboarding is really the first time that an employee gets to see how an organization works. So if you deliver them the most important information to get started, and then also have a plan for, you know, three weeks down the line, they might not remember what you mentioned the first week, but they know how to access it really well. And having all of that figured out ahead of time will make the employee perceive your organization that much better. And I think it also applies to strategy. If your employees know what your corporate strategy is and they can easily tie their work to that strategy, it is more motivating. It entices them to uh, really strive toward the company goals and also projects. So when we're talking about employees really enjoying their work, sometimes getting on projects or leading them could be overwhelming and stressful. But if you have a solid lessons learned program, for example, you can take what you learned in previous experiences and apply that to new projects to know, you know, increase the chances of them being successful. So those are really good uh, things to focus on as an organization to make sure that your company has um, solid employee experience. And people are, of course, leaving their jobs at a really high frequency right now. And KM, I think, is one of the best ways to prevent that. You give people information that they need to do their jobs and feel confident in it. And you're not forcing them to search for content two hours a day. I think it was in 2020, McKinsey did a study and it was like 1.8 hours a day are being spent searching for information. And if you could eliminate that, people would have more time to do things that they actually enjoy in their work. Um, they'd be more motivated and more innovative with their time. So Jessica, I wanted to ask you, we've talked a little bit about this relationship between KM and the employee experience. How do you feel like that's changed in shifting from face-to-face -face versus remote work? And I know you've had experience in both environments in KM. Yeah, um, it's definitely changed the field of knowledge management a little bit. I think people are still trying to figure this out. Uh, one of the biggest challenges is the number of serendipitous knowledge transfer conversations that take place naturally. Um, you don't really bump into people in the hallways or see them in the kitchenette at work as often. And even socializing after work where you might have event session with your colleagues, those are far less frequent these days. Um, I know one time I visited the Google headquarters and they have invested so much in making sure that their office spaces encourage that kind of interaction. And now you see them really pushing to bring people back into the office because of that. Um, so in some ways, the work of a knowledge manager has sort of taken to facilitating unnatural conversations. Uh, there are bots that match you randomly or kind of like force uh, a meeting with someone that you might not usually talk to. And uh, I know that some organizations are even doing virtual reality to try to make those conversations happen more naturally. Um, I've worked on remote teams throughout my career. So Spark had regional offices and international offices, 
uh, Redux was remote even before COVID started. And then the team that I'm on at Harvard is remote as well. Um, and I noticed that through those experiences, if you're not in the office every day, you're at a slight disadvantage if other people are, but the quarterly or periodic meetings that you might have with your team in person, if you plan those well, they can be just as impactful, I think, as being in the office every day. So I wanted to ask you, because I know that you've used stakeholder interviews, surveys, all sorts of different uh, data feedback collection mechanisms in setting up some of these programs, but that what you see as the, the role of data and why it's important in guiding knowledge management and, and building support in those early stages. Data is crucial to be able to communicate the importance of knowledge management. And if you're running a KM program and you get six months into it, you might have senior leaders come to you and ask, what has your program done for us so far and why should I continue funding your project and your work? And if you don't have that baseline data to that six month mark, it's really hard to communicate to them that you have made a difference. There might be a few people sharing stories, which is excellent, but unless you have hard numbers, um, your senior leader might not take those stories as seriously. So one way that I'm doing this is, for instance, as I'm building out the intranet in Confluence, I'm using Google Analytics to show that we have a spike in usage. We have people finding answers quickly, and that is also then used to get some of the people who didn't jump on the Confluence bandwagon to get them to start using it more and, and show them that you can find your answers much more quickly in this uh, new way of working. And then I can also build the internet to meet the needs of people who aren't finding the information they need quickly. So using those numbers to then take action is very important. And it's something that I definitely plan to keep doing. Fantastic. So I have one final question, and I always like to ask people, knowledge management as a discipline is changing so much and so quickly, how you see knowledge management evolving and maybe how a, a new or an early stage KM program can actually benefit from not having a lot of legacy and, and maybe taking advantage of the direction that knowledge management's going. That's a good one because a knowledge management at its core is really all about people. And it doesn't matter to me which technology you use because you still need certain components to make it successful. So whether you're using Teams or Google Drive or, or Box, you still need to be able to have content named properly in architecture that makes sense, um, tagging, et cetera. And you need people to be having conversations and sharing information. Uh, what I will say is, of course, technology is getting better. And um, being able to help people through the change management and the, difference, the different ways of working is really important for any KM program. And to you yourself, if you're a knowledge manager, don't be afraid of trying out new technologies. You know, AI is all the, the rage right now in the, in the field. And if that scares you, it's okay. But like, you have to learn it sooner or later because I think that's going to be really impactful in the field as, as we go along. Um, I'm not sure there's probably so many changes coming that no one can even forecast at this point. So I really think just being open to those changes and jumping on them as soon as possible to learn about them and you know experiment, it's okay if you fail, um, but I think that openness is really important.
Well, I think that agile experimental mindset is really important for knowledge management as things change really quickly. And also I think some people can get intimidated by things like AI because they think they need to be experts in the technology. And you, you just need to learn enough about it to figure out how to use it to apply to your business problems, right? Right, exactly. Well, I think that that's all we have time for. Thank you so much, Jessica, for joining us today. And thanks everyone for listening. If you wanna learn more about setting up the KM program or adjusting KM to your culture, about KM and the employee experience, please visit us at apqc.org.